You're listening to the Create a Life That Is Beautiful podcast with your host, Letitia Ringe, and this is episode number five. Hi everyone, it's Letitia here and welcome to our next episode, episode number five of the Create a Life That Is Beautiful podcast, a podcast designed to inspire, empower and support you on the journey of uncovering truth and purpose in your world. Thank you so much for being here. It's so lovely to share this space with you. And today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. You aren't going to be hearing from any of my amazing guests today. You're going to be hearing from me and I'm going to be exploring with you and explaining more about my own journey to discovering purpose because that's something I only went into very quickly in our first episode, episode number one. So today I'm going to give you the longer version because as I've mentioned, I spent 10 years trying to figure out what my purpose could be. And along that way, I have learned a lot. And a lot of these topics are ones that have also come up in our recent interviews with um, the three episodes I've done. So I think it would be great to explore these in a little more detail with you all today. And so what I'm going to do is go through some of the questions that I usually ask my guests on the podcast. So to get started, our first question is always about just, you know, an introduction about who the person is and what they're in the midst of creating. So hopefully by now you know who I am. My name's Letitia Ringe and I am a life coach. I'm a writer. I'm now a podcaster and I'm also a woman living in London, but originally from Sydney, Australia. And basically I'm committed to living my healthiest, happiest and most fulfilled life possible. And that is what I help people also achieve. I am today driven by a very clear mission And I am fully motivated by what I love and joy and am inspired by, but it wasn't always the case. So I wanted to talk to you about my journey to arriving at the purpose or destination that I had wanted for so long. And so I think it's important for me to start then in school, which is where if anyone's listened to my episode so far, I love to work in a linear fashion. And for me, the starting point was in my final years of high school. Uh, I think it was the final year of high school. And I had learned about what the concept of self-actualization is in my society and culture class uh, by my wonderful teacher. And so that's the final stage on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And when I learned about self-actualization, I knew that that is what I wanted to achieve in my lifetime. I had such a deep calling towards it. And I understood that I needed to discover what my purpose would be because I wanted to contribute to the world uh, in the best way that I could. And even as a child, what had been motivating me was I really wanted to help people, but I didn't necessarily know how. 
So at that point, that's where the dilemma began because I had so many different interests and I didn't know where I wanted to, you know, put, put all my eggs, which basket would I do that? I loved English. I loved philosophy. I loved psychology. I loved law and business studies and society and culture. You know, I was just getting started as any person at that age, which is around 17 years old is, you know, we're not even adults yet. But at that time of your life, you are, there is a lot of pressure put on you to make a decision about what you want to do for the rest of your life. And that can be really debilitating for many people. And for me, I am someone who finds it difficult to make decisions. And so having to make a decision about what I wanted to do with my life was a really big deal. Needless to say, I was really motivated to get started on this path. So what I, I, the biggest struggle for me was whether I wanted to help people on a micro or macro basis. I remember going to the university open days and talking to the, the tutors and lecturers there and, uh, and just finding out how, you know, how could I help people? Would this be the best way to help a person? And so I guess at that stage, what was motivating me were I loved watching The Guardian with Simon Baker and uh, he was a, if anyone's watched it before, which if you haven't, I mean, definitely give it a go. It's a great show. He was a children's advocate. So he was a lawyer and I really, I did have a calling to work with uh, children at that time. The other uh, role I was Uh, investigating, as I mentioned in my uh, episode with Ariadne Kapsali, was a children's psychologist. And I actually had a mentor who was a children's psychologist at that stage. So my, I was caught between, okay, do I want to go down the lawyer route or do I want to go down the psychology route? Or did I want to do something that was more uh, bigger scale, like policymaking? And um, in the end, I decided on policymaking. But because I had decided that I wanted to go with helping the most amount of people that I could. (laughs) Uh, Very beautiful intentions of a girl of that age, if I don't say so myself. So along the way, I decided that, okay, I really didn't know if this is what I wanted to do. So I decided to withdraw out of university and instead start working in law firms because the idea of being a lawyer was still, uh, I guess, interesting to me. But what I wanted to point out here was that one of the key motivators in my decision to study law and to go into um, working in a law firm was that I remember in year 10, actually, so this is our final year in Australia is year 12. In year 10, I was talking to our careers advisor and I told her about my intention to study law. And I remember her saying that I'd need a lot better marks to be able to study law. And it was pretty unlikely by this stage that I'd be able to do it. So, of course, in year 11 and 12, uh, well, actually not, of course, because some people would be demotivated by that. But I was actually really motivated and that made me do really well in year 11 and 12. And I always put it back to that point. But what is really significant to note here is that from such a young age, 
I was already displaying signs of trying to prove myself to other people, to prove my sense of worth. And this is something that carried with me. And I mean, it's still something I'd struggle with on a day to day basis. To be honest, this is a limiting belief that I have and many other people have. And I think especially many women. So I started from a very young age trying to prove or wanting to prove myself to people. And this is something we learn as kids because we're taught to, you know, we want to be approved by the people around us. It starts with our parents or it could be our teachers or the, or the kids that we're around. So it, it starts this, what becomes or what can become an unhealthy obsession with being approved and being validated by someone other than yourself. Very powerful. And uh, yeah, it's a huge motivator. We were talking about this as well, uh, Ariadne and I, in our last, um, the last episode, episode number four, you, when you start off with those as your intentions, it's really difficult because you, you're completely disconnected from your own what you really want you know what what's what does your heart want what would you do if you know no one was watching you it's like how would you dance if no one was watching you you know that's how you express yourself so this is what happens and I think as parents you know it's very and I and I'm not a parent yet but I hope to be one day and what I would encourage my own children is to really get to know what their interests are and what they enjoy doing and and really focus on that rather than, um, you know, what someone else in your life wants you to do. So anyway, that led me into, I was in policymaking and I decided then to go into, um, to, to figure out if I really wanted to study law because it was something I was still drawn to. And I uh, spent the year working in law firms and then I guess the novelty of working in a corporate environment and also I had been, uh, you know, someone had called to ask me to work for them, like some place that I'd worked at before. So I was really honored by all of that. And um, yeah, so this pattern of wanting and needing to be liked, you can see that here as well. And so, yeah, I really also just love to be useful. I was really good at being good at anything that I was asked to do, you know, before that I worked in, um, you know, retail or grocery stores. And I was always um, applauded for doing such a great job there too. And that's all I wanted. I just wanted to be valued and recognized for the work that I was doing. And um, that meant more to me than anything. You know, it was that real strong sense of needing to be, to prove myself. And I also got a lot of um, satisfaction in the fact that I was, you know, self-made. I had done all of this myself. I, you know, I got a job when I was 14 before I was even supposed to because I uh, really just loved that independence. So that was always driving me. And what happened then was that I, so I started studying law and I also was studying psychology. And that is where the battle between these two options began. 
I only gave myself two options. I limited myself to the two options, even though neither of those felt completely right for me. So I saw myself as, okay, I either needed to be a lawyer or I was going to do something with law that I didn't know yet, or I was going to be a psychologist. And during studying both of these, while, you know, they were interesting, they didn't light me up. In fact, I had a minor um, area of study and that was English and actually English was something that I loved in high school. I did all four units. So we did three separate subjects and I did really well and I loved it. And I, I just wanted to read all the books and study all the context and, you know, write essays. And, you know, that felt to me more fun. If I could have done anything, it probably would have been that at that time. So, but I didn't see a career in it and I didn't want to be a teacher. So at that time, even though it was something I thought I'd end up doing in the future. So I set about studying on these really serious areas with law and psychology and, um, you know, you know, less creative, uh, I've got to say, than some of the other options that I probably would have enjoyed more. And this battle between will it be law or psychology went on for years. I was constantly like, which one do I do? And, and so, but meanwhile, I was working in a law firm and I was flowing throughout that law firm, doing various roles that were opening for me. I was doing a great job in all of them, which I loved. Uh, so I didn't really, I wasn't thinking about, okay, but where do I want to go? Where do I, Letitia Ringe, most want to go? I just thought, uh, you know, I'm doing really well, so I should let that be my guide. What I'm good at should be my guide. And, um, but as, like, as you can see, no matter what job I went into, I was good at. So that wasn't the best indicator for me. And the other issue that was happening at this time was that in university, I went to um, one of the best universities in the country and I didn't feel good enough. I felt that I shouldn't be there. I had imposter syndrome. I didn't know very many people, if at all, uh, because I didn't, my, not many people from my school uh, went to that university. And so I found it really hard to make friends and feel comfortable. And I was, I'm the kind of person that needs a little bit of warming up when I get into a group environment. So yeah, I really struggled. And this feeling of not being good enough, which was the same feeling that was really motivating me in the beginning anyway, to prove myself really started to, it it became a, a real problem for me and would you know, I guess it was part of my upper limit problem. If anyone's uh, read The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, <laughs> uh, and if you haven't, I highly recommend it. So, yeah, in uni, I loved studying English. I still remember like my favorite subjects, like film, fiction, and power. And I loved all sorts of film studies, but I didn't follow my passion. I went with where I had experience and where would set me on a good path and career. And, um, and also, of course, because I wanted to help people. So eventually there was an opening in another team in our law firm, which was the family law team. And I was considered for the position and then accepted. And that is when I started in family law. And pretty much immediately I started on a really interesting matter, which I threw myself into. And I started working as much as possible. I was addicted to working, I would say. I was addicted to being busy, to being useful, to doing work. And I thrived 
for the first couple of years. I really did. And then by that stage, uh, by when things started to become not so interesting, I was so far along in my legal studies and, you know, the career I had made for myself that I felt like if I leave now, I would just be wasting it all. So it's that concept of chasing your losses, like in gambling. But the thing is, is that the longer that you keep investing in an area that you're not particularly passionate about, um, or it's not your purpose, then really that's your, you've got to look at the cost of that because you're going to end up unhappy anyway. So you're going to leave at some point, you know, like these feelings of unfulfillment, they're the things that most people, they can't live with for very long. So yes, I didn't believe that this was the best career for me. In fact, I knew it by this stage, but I was too scared to leave. And also all the messaging around me was that you shouldn't leave. You've got to see it through. You've got to wait till you're admitted. You've got to wait just wait. Okay. You've invested too much, you know, change your mind, that sort of thing. And I was really scared to leave because it was so unknown. And also I had no idea what else I would do, but thankfully, although at the time it didn't seem like it was something to appreciate, basically a number of incidents happened that were really significant and caused me to realize that, okay, this isn't the environment that I would want to work in. I don't, it's not right for me in so many different levels, but the turning point was really when I was diagnosed with endometriosis, which I know I've spoken about before. uh, And you might've seen in other on my blog uh, or on my Instagram, but basically endometriosis is a really serious condition. It's incredibly painful. Uh, It's, it's um, something that only women suffer from and uh, basically it can be it's different for all women the symptoms but I was having severe pain that was like crippling me and so at that time I was feeling really depressed I was stuck I felt anxious going into work I felt like I was hyperventilating I you know things (laughs) things were really falling apart and this diagnosis felt like it I did feel a bit of relief because then I could understand uh, what was wrong with me but I also just felt like okay that's it I let go I surrender I need to find a better way and that was the moment when my friend sent me the episode of the lively show with Elisa Vitti and I started to learn more about um, you know how I could potentially help myself through what I was eating and consuming you know even not just um, what I would eat but also in my environment and um, I started to become really interested in learning more about my body and also falling and were following my curiosity in terms of everything or the information that was coming before me. So basically if something was interesting uh, and they recommended a book or a podcast, I just follow that. And then before I know it, I was uh, immersed in all this material that was lighting me up. But what I wanted to point out was up until that point, I really didn't feel like I was in the driver's seat of my life. I really felt like I was in the passenger seat. Life was just going by. 
Um, yeah, time was just passing and I couldn't control what was happening to me in my life. I felt like I was a victim. I didn't feel empowered. I felt like life was happening to me in every sense of, of that. And, um, I also, of course, didn't feel like I was good enough. So this, the body, we spoke about this in uh, the episode with Lauren Barber, um, sometimes the body has a way of, you know, pushing you into a path that you need to take. And so although it's not great that I was diagnosed with endometriosis and I'm really sad about the way that I treated my body, I am grateful for the diagnosis because it was the wake up call for me. So then I also, as I opened, started opening my mind to other opportunities and I knew that I was going to leave at some point. I started to also think more about, okay, well, who am I? You know, what does Letitia Ringe, like, what does she even stand for? Who is she? What are her gifts? What are her skills? What are her talents? And so I did things like I took a personality test. I found out that I was an ENFP on the Myers-Briggs scale. And it was really interesting to read that report because one thing for ENFPs is that they really value their freedom. (laughs) So working in a you know, hierarchical or rules-based system is not the best environment. And that was something that I had felt in my legal career that I really couldn't thrive because I really wanted to be uh, doing in a more progressive environment. And I really didn't like being micromanaged in any way. So I knew by doing that personality report that something more entrepreneurial was going to be good for me. Meanwhile, I didn't think that that was definitely would mean that I would run my own business. I just knew that I needed to be in an environment that did cater more for entrepreneurial people. So next I moved to London with my partner because we both thought, okay, we need a bit of a shakeup. And so we made the move to London and I still thought that I would, you know, go into the corporate world, which I did. And, um, but I moved into a more entrepreneurial role and I just kept following my curiosity. And I think this is a really important, and it's something that's come up in all three of our interviews so far, but following your curiosity is just a much softer way at figuring out what you're interested in. So often we talk about passion and People think, well, I'm not passionate about anything because, you know, to be passionate is passionate is something that you would, you know, not go to sleep. You just want to um, you're just so obsessed with it. You know, we think it's this it's not something that everybody feels necessarily. I do, however, think it is something that you everyone does have the capacity to feel. It's just something that we don't know how to find. So following your curiosity is something that is accessible to anyone. If you said, okay, the next time you have a, you're curious about anything, if it's something to go and research, if it's something you've just wondered, you know, go and try that. Just try that. And then when the next little nudge of curiosity happens, go and follow that again. Those little steps eventually lead you to where your 
you know, intuition is calling you to go. I really do believe that. And so basically before I knew it, I was fully immersed in this world of health and wellness and personal development. I absolutely loved it. I'd spend all my extra time doing it. I'd go to work, I'd leave work um, doing that. I'd choose not to hang out with people because I wanted to sit home and read or listen to a podcast or a video. And yeah, I was, I was obsessed and I also was forming idea for what I wanted to do with my life in this area. So I knew it was an area I would end up working in, but at that stage, I didn't know how. So passion and ease eventually happened. You know, doors just kept opening for me. And there are a couple of people I wanted to mention because their work was really pivotal for me at this time. The first is Megan Hale. Of um, She had a podcast called The Enoughness Revolution. She now has a different podcast. It's called Wild and Holly. And she spoke a lot about in The Enoughness Revolution about looking back to what you loved doing as a child or, um, you know, or appealing to your inner child. What do they want you to do? And I found this incredible because it was a way for me to, you know, not only go back through my childhood and look at all the things I loved, but also to ask that little child that was within me about what I really wanted to do now. You know, if I was a kid and could do anything I wanted, what would it be? And So that's where I'd really discovered my creativity again, which is something that I just completely shut off. And I guess because, you know, I was in that really analytical role. Also, I am quite an analytical person. So I really didn't think I was creative. But the fact is, guys, everyone is created, every single one of us. And we're like, we're all creative and we're all designed to expand and keep growing. And so we need to be creative in order to do that. And, you know, women, we create life. (laughs) we create life so we can we all are creative we all have it it's just that um certain you know the more logical analytical side has been what has been relied more heavily on to date so it's just about accessing that again and so yeah tapping into that inner child within you is a really great way to do that the other person that really helped me was Brooke Castillo. And so she is a life coach. She has the uh, a podcast called The Life Coach School. She also runs a life coach school. Like she's incredible. And uh, all her work on, you know, your thoughts are not necessarily your own. These are thought patterns that you've learned. I found that extremely helpful because I believed that all these thoughts that I had every single day were mine. But when I realized that actually they weren't and I could change them and I could also change the way I felt, that was the most empowering piece of information ever. It was incredible. Uh, If anyone wants to learn more about that, you can actually go to my blog and look at action number two, which is about choosing your thoughts and feelings. Now, another person was Eckhart Tolle, which most people probably know. He wrote this very famous book called The Power of Now. And I found that incredibly helpful because it got me to start focusing on the present moment rather than worrying about the past and you know how much time I had wasted and instead focusing on, okay, well, what am I calling for in the present moment? What do I need today? What do I want to do today? And focusing on, you know, what that, that 
allows you to focus on what is what is in your control. The past isn't in your control and neither is the future. And so the other thing is, is worrying about the future or having anxiety about the future. And that was something I also loved to do and I was addicted to it. So this focused on, okay, let's not focus on the past. Let's not focus on the future. Let's just focus on the present moment. And that was honestly so life-changing. It was freedom. It really was. If you haven't read The Power of Now, I highly recommend you read it. The other person who was really helpful to me was, of course, Jess Lively. Uh, At that stage, I started doing her life with intention, which got you to look at rather than, you know, your goals and goal being to obtain some outcome or shiny penny as she calls them and then that is going to be what makes me feel good or successful she focuses on well how could I feel successful now if the feeling of success is what I'm really after then what could I do today that would give me that feeling and so she breaks it down in much more than that but that that is the essence of it and That was incredibly empowering too, because then I got to focus on what actions I could take today to make me um, have the feelings that I was really craving. And also just to acknowledge that it wasn't the outcome that I was actually craving, that it was the feeling that I thought I would get from the outcome, which is hugely significant because you know, we, there's no guarantee that once we get a particular outcome that it's going to change the way we feel, which is something I've discussed before. You know, there's plenty of unhappy, uh, wealthy people out there. There's plenty of unhealth, uh, sorry, unhappy, thin people out there. You know, there's plenty of unhappy, successful, in inverted commas, uh, people out there. So that is not what you think is going to make you happy may not actually be. And when you've worked really hard to get somewhere, like we can even use me as an example, becoming a lawyer, um, and it's not what makes you happy, that's devastating. You know, let's focus on the present moment and what can make you happy today. Okay, which brings me to my final point, which is once you know what you want to do, you know, you're inspired, you found something that you love and that you enjoy, and now you're ready to take action and to do something with it. My final piece of advice is do not wait for permission from anyone before you do it. This is really important because especially when you're doing something that's a little bit different to what might be, you know, more mainstream, because people are scared and also you sort of challenge someone else when you do something different. It causes them to think about themselves and reflect on their own life. And so they might they might respond from a place of, you know, I'm being judged rather than a place of support. And that's something that's actually quite natural. So It's really important that once you know what you want to do, you follow that uh, intuition or you follow that knowing, you follow that curiosity, whatever you whatever you feel that it's it is and you don't ask for permission. A a quote that I love is start before you're ready. So you're never going to be ready anyway, because most of us want to wait till we you know reach some stage of perfection and it's not something we're going to obtain. And the 
biggest thing is, is that you want to be guided about what you're most inspired about in the present moment. And that requires you to take action in the present moment. You know, if you are taking action on something, on an urge that you had that was, you know, months ago and, you know, you've changed a lot since then, you know, things get out of date quickly. So you want to take action in the present moment as best as you can. I'm not saying you need to make any rash decisions. I'm just saying do what you can in the present moment to act on it and don't wait for permission and don't wait until you are ready, until you think you are ready. Okay, guys, I'm going to stop here and uh, I think it's a great place to stop. So there is more about my journey to discovering purpose and some of the key lessons that I learned along the way. I hope that this has been super helpful for you. I will have show notes for this episode, which you can find at www.letisharange.com forward slash my story. And we will be back next week with another episode. And this one will be an interview with a guest and it is not one to be missed. Our guest for next week has had one of the most significant impacts on my life. And I am so excited to share this episode. There is so much great content in there. Um, Honestly, you're going to walk around, walk away with so much on your mind and it's a, it's a good thing. So I can't wait to share that. In the meantime, if you haven't already, you can also sign up for my newsletter, which also gives you access to the 21 week free program that I have that walks you each week through an action to help you create a life that you love, enjoy and are inspired by. Uh, And if you haven't yet left a review on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud, I would be so grateful if you could do that. That just helps get the message out to more people who are ready to unlock their truth and purpose. All right, everyone. See you next week. Bye.